0: Welcome to the Expat Cast, a podcast about living and working abroad. This episode was recorded with my brother Dan and his friend Marlon. Marlon had been working as a missionary in Cambodia for about two years at the time and was back in the States for a short visit. Since Marlon is a missionary, some of the conversation uh, goes into the spiritual landscape of the region, which may seem a bit strange to some, but it's a very important part of both the culture and also of Marlon's own experience. Dan and I really, really enjoyed chatting with him, and we'd love to catch up with him again soon. With that being said, let's jump into the conversation.
1: Uh, when I first moved to Cambodia, I was um, first one in with my group into the country, and um, I flew into the capital city, and I knew no one, and uh, I had a friend of a friend who was living over there who picked me up from the airport, and. Whisked me off to a hostel to stay in for a night. And then she took me out to some sort of event, and I was jet lagged on and didn't really remember too much of it. And then she said, Hey, I'm headed out of the country tomorrow, and some other guy will meet you, and he'll take you to where you can live for the next month. And so then, in about two days, another guy picked me up and took me over to a house. And he told me, Hey, I'm headed out of the country the next day, and I'll be gone for about three months. And then I, there I was. <laughs> And I had to figure things out from there. Um, I knew of a school that I was going to try to find and go to to learn kamai I didn't know if it was still working or too much about it. And all my contacts, as, as uh, I just said, were... Um, I knew they were just going to be there for a little bit. So it was pretty much um, figuring it out and just relying on the Lord. So... I, I remember just being like, I need to get my bearings, and just taking a day, and luckily in today's technology, you get GPS, so I carried a GPS with me, and just walked the streets, and tried to memorize as many of the routes as I could, and find the school, located it, and then um, I was in a house by myself for about a month, and then a local Kamai guy came and picked me up, and I went and I moved into a dorm with 18 other Kamai boys, and then I lived there for about two and a half months going to that school. And so for the first two and a half months, I didn't have too much interaction with, uh, with too many Westerners other than the other students that would have been in my class and maybe uh, meeting a couple other expats that were in the country maybe like once a week. The um, dorm that I was staying with was, and this is just kind of how the Lord works. He leads you into these steps. Uh, Right before I had left for Cambodia, um, I met up with a girl who is now my wife, but at that time she wasn't. She was in an internship in the U.S. from Cambodia. And um, she was a Christian, and she had worked for another uh, organization as a dorm director at these dorms that were meant to bring people in from the countryside that were coming to the city for the university. And so about... Maybe 60 to 70% of the dorm would be Christian and the other was not Christian. She'd been a dorm director and she connected me with these guys who happened to be on furlough and were close to my hometown. So they connected me to stay at this dorm. So the dorm I was staying at was a Christian run program, but maybe about 50% of the guys were actually Christian at the dorm. So I had opportunities to minister to those boys and get to share the Bible studies. Um, but then also to just a couple of those guys became really good friends of mine. They were, best, they were like groomsmen in my wedding. Um, but one of those guys, just to give you like a, an, a, an example, was I went out with him on one of the holidays to his hometown, and uh, he'd been, I don't know, Christian for three or four years, I think. Um, but we got out to his hometown and, um, we were out there and we we're about ready to meet his parents. And he looks at me, he goes, Hey, if my, my parents ask you, would you please not tell them what you're doing? And I was like, looked at him and I was asked him like, don't, don't they know that you're Christian? And he's like, no, they don't know. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't lie to your parents. I won't go out of my way to like to, like, bring up the conversation. But if they ask me, I got to be honest. And so I just had an opportunity to pour into his life and tell him about how he needs to, to to let his parents know sometime and that they need to know where his faith stands. But that's kind of, like, the level of the faith of some of the guys that I was living with. So they they did believe in the Lord, but there's still a lot of fear um, that come with some family ties and stuff that exists over there. And you say there's a lot of fear there. Is that because they're afraid of, like, their family... Um, not accepting them anymore or is there something like what what happens like if, if you're a Christian
0: and you, you tell your family what, what is the repercussion?
1: Uh the repercussion is that the family ties in Cambodia are just a lot deeper usually than family ties in America. And so to the point that um in America oftentimes you grow up and the parents train you to become up and grow up and be independent. But in Cambodia, from day one, you kind of grow up that you submit to the family and you, pr- and you provide for the family and you're part of the family. So it's just a different mindset that you don't really, a lot of times, kids don't even feel they have the right to make their own decision by themselves. So to make a decision against what parents would say or whatever, it's like you're kind of going. There's a saying in Cambodia, to be Khmer is to be Buddhist. To be Buddhist is to be Khmer or to be Cambodian is Buddhist to be Buddhist is to be Cambodian so to break with your religion is almost a break with your DNA of who you are even nationally so there's this idea of persecution from the family of rejection and that can depend on the family in this case he was scared that he would lose the money that they were going to give him to, to, to finish what he was doing in college and everything and that would have lots and lots of repercussions and what's the
0: most common form of Buddhism in Cambodia
1: it's technically called Theravada Buddhism, um, but uh, I've been in Myanmar and some of the other Asian countries, and what I've seen between uh, Myanmar, Burma to Cambodia is that the Buddhism is a little more pacifist, and also what I've found, and this is just, so I had dinner with a, a friend of mine who's Cambodian, she's Christian, and she had two of her friends come in to dinner with us who's not not Christian, and the one of them, like, sat, and and what she said to me, she's like, I'm real Buddhist. She's like, other Cambodians are Buddhist by family ties, but they don't really practice, but I practice Buddhism. And so, like, she actually had gone to, like, the temples and shaved her head and spent time there and stuff like that. And so, coming from a Cambodian, what I've seen is that there's a little bit of a breakdown and that there's in the younger generation, anyways, their hold to Buddhism as much a family tie as it is a, a real belief in it. Sometimes.
0: And so you you saw that as maybe like a small percentage of Buddhism is like that that girl who was.
1: Yes, and I think that probably you'll see in the countryside you'll find stronger Buddhism than you will in the cities, as a general rule. We we'll get questions like, um, "Well, I heard that in Christianity you don't honor your father and mother, and honor is a big thing. A lot bigger cultures in, it, as a general in in Asian Eastern cultures deal with honor and shame, where we we deal with stuff on a legal basis, right and wrong, and so when you get this honor and shame thing." a dishonor to the family is a lot bigger like than it would be in america it's kind of hard to understand but so they get this idea and so why would you follow a religion that would dishonor your family like that and um and so you have things like that and so then there's places that you can go because you bring up a verse that says you know ephesians says honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise and they have no clue a verse like that exists you know, they'll see well and they probably get some of these misconceptions I can't say for sure, but somebody comes to the comes to the Lord, but now all of a sudden they don't go to the temple to to pay homage to the dead ancestors, which is a spirit worship, really, and it's a spirit worship. There's this idea that they have a holiday called Pachumbun, Bun, which once a year they're honoring their dead ancestors and they say that they're released from hell and they come up and that they need to bring food out to them and they're guessing where they're going to be and if they don't give them food they're going to be cursed for like the next whenever however year so they're really it's really a demonic worship um and so they'll be like well they, they don't come to that anymore they're dishonoring the family so there is there's a there's a reason some of that comes but they don't realize the bible really teaches about honor
0: where do some of those like rituals and uh, holidays and things like that come from? Is it from their form of Buddhism, or is it something completely different?
1: So one of the things you'll see in Cambodia is that there's a lot of integration. So there's integration. It would have originally been a Hindu nation integrated Buddhism into it, integrated, and before that would have been a animism integrated that. So in a lot of these villages, what we see is they say they're Buddhist, but in practice, they practice animism and spiritism more than they practice Buddhism. And so you get this weird blend. But on the front, they're Buddhist, and they go to the Buddhist temple, and they do some of the Buddhist thing, but they go to witch doctors, and they go to fortune tellers, and they're calling upon spirits, and they see spirits. They see, they got, I've run into multiple occasions where they have s- stories of seeing flaming balls come through the village. Could you talk about that a little bit? About two years ago, we ran into a, a fellow. Uh, he had been out in, in the swamps, I think hunting frogs or something, and seeing like a fireball, they'd see fireballs out there and they knew like it was spirits. And the spirits eventually had like come into him and like they would possess him. That his family knew like at times he would just go crazy and he would just like take off running like wild through the city. Everybody knew it. But then some missionaries had come through and preached about Jesus and he had received received the Lord and he found peace and freedom and they left him. And then that night, the spirits came back to his house and started taunting him, like, why did you leave us? Why did you leave us? And they told him, we're going to go to your family members, and we're going to kill them all tomorrow. So the next day, he woke up, and he went, and he told all his family members, and his family members all came to the Lord. And, and he's been in his right mind ever since, and the whole village knows it. So then there was a piece of property there. That they knew the spirits lived in, and there was they believed that oftentimes in these trees they'll live in, so they knew they lived in this tree. And so everybody was scared because every time someone would go in there to try to cut trees, they'd get sick or hurt. Or So, never everybody really wanted to touch the property. Well, he had found Jesus, so he's like, He said, Forget that. He went in and he cut down this big tree. We went to the person that owned the property and he asked if he could cut it down. The guy said, Well, if you can cut that tree down, you can have that property. Because he just didn't believe he could cut it down because of the spirits, so we went in and chopped down that tree, and now that a church sits on that property and the church has it. We were on a trip this year, um, so we had a short two-week team in. We had two translators lined up for the trip, and the night of the trip the first translator caught us and canceled and said he couldn't make it. And he was also going to be our van driver. So we lost our van driver. And then the morning of the trip, the second translator canceled on us. So we were ready to head off to the, to this village to do ministry. We had set it up with the pastor out there. And all of a sudden we're out our van drivers, we're out our translators. And then, um, my wife who was studying, she's still in college, um, she had felt the Lord moving upon her heart that she was supposed to be on this trip. She said, for, forget it. I'm not going to go to the university. I'm going to come out and translate. So we had a translator, still out our van driver, and then the first translator called and said, I have a van driver for you, but he doesn't speak any speak any English. So now we had our driver. We had our translator. And when he came, uh, the tr- first the first guy whose name was Sen, he came, and he said, this is the guy that's going to drive for you. His name is is Mian, which in Kamai means to have. So we nicknamed him with a respectful term, Boo, which means uncle. So we called him Boo Mian, which means the uncle that has or the rich uncle. And, uh, and, and Sen told me, he said, he doesn't know the Lord yet. Please don't forget to minister to him. And I just kind of said, well, he doesn't yet. And we went off on this trip. And so the first day or two of the trip, um, every time we go, like, to a house-to-house, Boo and would just kind of sit in the background, but he'd sit there and just, you'd see him listening. Uh, but he never really interacted with anybody. And so it was the second, I think it was the second night of that trip. We had a meeting with the church. We wanted to encourage them, and people from the village had come in, and our team had shared. And after sharing the gospel with them and um, testimonies, they asked if the people had any questions. And the people said they had uh, no questions. So then all of a sudden, Boomian from out of nowhere comes into the center of the circle and he goes, Well, if you guys don't have any questions, I have questions. And he continued for 45 minutes to like ask our team questions. And these were like not easy questions. They were questions like um, one of his questions was about Pol Pot. Now, I'll give you a little Pol Pot was. In the 70s, a leader that took over Cambodia and did genocide on the country. Uh, in short, he killed 3 million out of about an 8 million population in a four-year span. He was not a good dude, and the Cambodians don't really like him for good reason. Uh, so Bu Min's question was, like, well, somebody like Pol Pot, if could, would he be able to be saved after doing all the stuff that he's done? And so it was questions like this he was asking, and... And the team just took the questions and would go to Scripture and would show Scripture. After 45 minutes of questioning the team in such fashion, he just said, I don't have any more questions. I want to follow Jesus. And so he just, he received the Lord. First guy on that trip to receive the Lord. And so about a week later when that trip was ending, um, we were leaving. And that pastor that we were working there in that village, he had... um, he, he never had a team come in and, like, work with him in, in that village ever. So he was super excited, but he started being mopey. He was like, what are we going to do? You guys are leaving. How are we going to, like, handle this? Like, it was just kind of this sadness. And Bu and stands up and confronts this pastor and goes, what are you doing Why are you so sad? Have you not been listening? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You have everything you need, and you need to share it with the people. He's been a Christian for four days, and he's got it. He was never supposed to be on the trip. That's what the Spirit does.
0: How did Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge affect how people see religion in Cambodia?
1: Uh, they were communists pretty through and through. Pol Pot had studied under Marxism in France, and then he studied under Mao Zedong in China, from what I understand. And he had an idea of returning the society back to an agrarian culture. Um, so when he went after the people, if you were educated, like they say that if you had glasses, he was going to kill you. They, he'd feel people's hands if they were smooth. He said, you didn't work in the farms, and he'd kill you. If you were in the entertainment industry, he was killing you. So it was just mass chaos and um, he was he was destroying like I mean he was going after Christians, but he was also destroying Buddhist temples. He was trying to wreck the history. He was burning history books. So Cambodia feels like they've really lost their history because of it. Because he would disperse family members from family members. He would purposely break a husband and a wife up and send one to the opposite side of the country and move you out of your hometown just so you knew nobody else and you wouldn't have somebody to partner with and gang up with. And so all of a sudden, for the first time, you had a breakdown in, like, family structure. You had a breakdown in religion. And, um... What I think is you see that Buddhism doesn't have the tie that it probably did before the Khmer Rouge. It still has a tie, but because of that, you got a lot of young people that are rising up, and their ties to it aren't as strong. And so there's actually a, a little bit of an opening there, I think, to come in, and that you know, they're searching for something to fill that void. I don't know anybody over 30 who doesn't personally know somebody in their family that was commil- killed during the Khmer Rouge. That's a pretty, I mean, they just didn't know who to trust. Even within the Khmer Rouge, they were turning on each other because they just didn't know who to trust. You'd turn around and you didn't know if the the person was part of them, wasn't part of them, what what was going on. So we were in a village this year, um, and we, we had a short two-week team in, and uh, we were doing evangelism. And it was the end of the day, and we were just kind of waiting. It was our second day in this village. Uh, we were just waiting uh, for the rest of the team to come in, and we were going to leave. And all of a sudden, the one pastor we were working with just rushes in, and he has this guy on his arm, and he sits down, and he says, this guy just bicycled in from over an hour away. He's been a monk for seven years, and he heard there was Christians in the area, and he has questions for them. And so he sits down, and the first question he asks is, well, I know that Buddha was only able to make it to the high heaven, but not the highest heaven. What about Jesus? That morning, we had had devotions to start the day, and one of the girls had read out of Ephesians 4, And I just felt prompted by the Lord to read a little bit farther, and the few verses I read past the devotion said, out of Ephesians 4, what does it mean that Christ descended down, but that he also ascended up to the highest heaven? And so it was such an awesome verse to be able to go to, I would have never had any other way, share it with him, he was so open to it, his eyes just widened, and then he wanted to hear about a creator God that he'd never heard before, and started to share about creation with him, me and another girl on the team, and partway, we didn't even get the story finished of creation, and he just, like, interrupted, and he was like, do you have a book that I can read this with my own eyes? And so we had a Kamai Bible, and we got it to him, and we finished sharing the story with him, and then the next day, he bicycled back into the village, and he had read 50 pages of the Bible, and then that evening, we were going to have a meeting, Um, There was a tin roof and it rained. It was so loud, you couldn't even hear people speak. But then for about an hour, hour and a half while it rained, we just watched him as he sat and continued to read the Bible. And then day four of that trip, he gave his life to the Lord. To this day, I don't know how he knew we were there because we didn't like publicize it. We didn't let lots of people know we were coming into that village. And he was an hour away. We tried to follow up with him and we drove and we drove and we couldn't get to his village and it got dark on us. And later, some of our guys connected with him again. But he was a good distance out there, and I don't know how he found out about us.
0: All right, well, that's it for the conversation with Marlon. It was super fun getting to talk with him, and I'm looking forward to our paths crossing again. Quite a few of the next guests on the podcast will be missionaries, so if you enjoyed this conversation, there are more like it on the way. If you are at all weirded out by the fireballs or the talk of religion and evil spirits, just wait. I've got a episode that I'm working on about my cousin's time in the rural, and I mean rural Congo, uh, which will blow your socks off. So I guess you've got that to look forward to. Until then, please don't get shot. Your mother would be upset.